early in my career, one of these other strategy career things that I referred to is that I knew I wanted to bounce around as much as I could before I had a family or a partner that would make it more difficult to bounce around as frequently. I took that time early in my career to bounce around to as many studios as I could to learn as much as I could about different management styles, different pipelines, and just learn from as many people as I could. And I'm so fortunate to that experience and all those people that I've met and still have yet to meet. Welcome to this week's Animator's Journey podcast episode. I'm your host, Lucas Ridley, a professional animator that has over 11 years of experience in the industry. And I wanted to share more about my backstory in this week's episode. I've interviewed a lot of amazing animators and I thought it was time to give my backstory about how I've made it to where I am now from living at my mom's as a 26 year old, broke, no job, divorced to then in just a very short amount of time working at Oscar winning animation studio and working on blockbuster movies and video games and the strategic career decisions I think I made along the way and hopefully some advice that I can give you in your own animator's journey. If I'm being honest, this is one of the episodes I've not really wanted to record because it feels weird talking about myself very much. So I'm gonna do my best to get through the story as best I can. I've enjoyed interviewing a lot of other animators and so hopefully I can give the same insight that they've given in the other episodes. And I hope you look forward to the upcoming episodes where I have new animator guests like an animator who's worked on the new Avatar movie, an animator who has 1.7 million YouTube subscribers. So I think there's a lot of great episodes coming up as well that we have in store. And of course, if you know anyone with a great animator's journey tale, please do reach out at lucas at digitalcreatorschool.com because I'm always looking for guests to come on the podcast. And hopefully you can also give me your feedback on social media, sharing the podcast or giving me a shout out and letting me know if you're enjoying me putting out these episodes. This is the beginning of 2023 and essentially this season of episodes. So if you're just now finding the podcast, you have all last season to catch up on. My journey into animation began at the lowest point in my life. I was divorced, living at home with my mom, and I had no job and I was broke. I was starting from rock bottom. In a very short amount of time, I landed my first job, but it was a very difficult decision to come to terms with the situation I was in at the time and to make the determination I'm gonna bet on myself and pursue animation and basically get into a lot of debt to go back to school. As a 26 year old, I felt a bit like a failure and I was way behind. At that point, I had gotten a four year degree from a liberal arts school for forestry. So essentially for four years, I studied trees and science and biology, and I went out into nature and our labs and I can identify trees just based on their bark in the winter and some other kind of fun party tricks like that. <laughs> but I will say in my first interview at a studio for a staff job, the person who hired me, who I may have on this podcast in the future, who's an Oscar winning director, said that he saw that I would have great observational skills having that forestry background. And to that point, like I can identify trees just based on the texture of the bark. That is a observational skill that is 
similar using a, it in a different way than we do in animation, but it's a very an adjacent muscle that I had been training over four years in a science field. When I got out of college, I went into another college for work. I was making maps at a university for nonprofits. So I was dealing with some imagery and there was a little bit of overlap, I would say with compositing. We would take imagery and we would manipulate it in a way to get insights about the landscape that we were looking at. Now, while I was doing that, I was living at a hang gliding flight park. A lot of people call it hand gliding if you've maybe never done it before. So you may have heard it called hand gliding. It's actually called hang gliding because we are hanging from our harnesses beneath a glider and we weight shift to control our bodies around and actually got to be in the top 20 competitive hang glider pilots in the United States at one year when I was competing nationally. So I would go around to different states and we would go on these week-long races. So every day we would wake up in a different place because we had just come from somewhere else. We had flown from somewhere else and our hang glider landed and we'd go fly again. Sometimes we would stay in the same spot and come out and return, but essentially we'd race across a virtual race course that would change every single day based on the conditions. Anyways, I'm starting to get off on a tangent. I really enjoy hang gliding and encourage you to go try it. So I was living at a hang gliding flight park when I was in my first job after college and I started to make videos. I was making videos because I was enthusiastic about this sport. If you couldn't already tell by that quick tangent that I just had. And I wanted to share that experience that I was having with people who would maybe never want to do that or were curious, or I wanted to encourage people to try it because when you have this blissful experience, you want to be evangelical about it. You want to try to convert people to, to your new thing. At least that's how I am. And so maybe that's why I'm ha I have this podcast too, is because I enjoy animation. So I was doing that at the time on YouTube was fairly new. This is around 2010. And so YouTube was fairly new. Video on the internet in general was new. And a lot of brands would host contests on YouTube because they didn't have the capabilities on their own websites to even host video. So they would pay YouTube to host video contests where they would get user-generated content and then they would have some type of voting mechanism or something to determine the winner. And I would create these hang gliding videos, which was fairly niche at the time. This is just right when wingsuit flying started coming out and people weren't really familiar with those types of aviation extreme sports. And so I stood out from the pack of a lot of user-generated content because of that uniqueness that no one had really seen before, I think. And I was at the time teaching myself Adobe Premiere. I was teaching myself After Effects. And I had known a little bit about that because I had also been rock climbing quite a bit in college and through my high school years. And I would film and make these little rock climbing videos with my friends. And I had a Sony camera that used floppy disks when I was in high school and it could only take 10 seconds of video. So I would have to have all these floppy disks when we go out rock climbing to try to film these videos and edit them together and teach myself editing as a 16, 17 year old kid. And so I'd had some experience editing up till this point now that I'm hang gliding in my early twenties. And I used that to make these hang gliding videos for these competitions on YouTube. I ended up winning. I won several YouTube contests. I think in one year I won up to maybe around $60,000, which was significantly more than I was making in my kind of low level first 
part-time job working at this university. So I, I realized quickly that I should probably switch gears and do this full-time. So I started to freelance. I quit my job. I tried to do some freelance work. And what I found was, is I didn't know what I was doing in a business sense. So I was underpricing myself and essentially priced myself out of business after buying equipment and gear and learned a lot of life lessons that way about how to essentially run a business profitably and what to look out for. And so that was a really great learning experience, but it was a painful one because I basically went slowly went broke as I couldn't really generate reliable income from competitions because I couldn't depend on the fact that a brand would even be hosting a competition, let alone then beat thousands of other people for the top prize that would make it a livable kind of wage. And so that got me into a bind. And in that process, I was also getting into a creative bind where filming became difficult because I wanted to do more than just hang gliding videos. I wanted to be able to film whatever I wanted to. And if you have experience filming live action things, then you'll know that you have equipment, you have weather, you have location, you have permits, you have insurance, you have other people's schedules. And it's a lot to coordinate just to get some filming done if you're trying to work at a commercial level. And so that process to me was fairly frustrating. And I found 3D animation and kind of as a way to solve these problems that I was finding in live action that I didn't have the immediacy of creation because I had to coordinate all of these things to come together and have all these stars align when I don't have a budget that's almost next to impossible at the quality that I was trying to achieve. So I couldn't rent the right equipment. I couldn't rent the right lights. But in 3D animation, you could have as many lights as you want. You wouldn't have to rent any of them. You can make a light that would cost $30,000 to rent. You could just create 20 of them if you wanted to in 3D animation. So that was very freeing to realize there's this avenue that I could create in. And the immediate frustration that I then felt was that this is very hard to learn. <laughs> and that's why I enjoyed teaching it because I know what that feels like to see a thing. You really want to learn how to do it. And then you immediately are faced with a barrier that feels like it's impenetrable and that you can't really get around it. And that's what I felt when I started to learn 3D animation. Because up to that point, I had learned and taught myself After Effects. I taught myself Adobe Premiere, Photoshop, all these Adobe Creative Suite products, but I couldn't crack the code to teaching myself 3D. And so that coincided around the time when my life was falling apart to a degree. I got a divorce and then I was just becoming broke. And because of those two things, then I had to move in with my mom so I could just make ends meet. And I started to think about maybe I should just go into wedding photography. I ended up filming and photographing a few weddings and much respect to anyone who does that out there. That's very difficult work. And I realized, I think I could be happy doing that, but what is, what do I really want? I really wanted to get into being, working on movies. And the struggle I had in my own self was, who am I to think that I could do this stuff? Everyone goes to the movies every weekend and everyone, I don't know anyone who hates movies. I don't, everyone loves movies. Like, so who am I to think that I can do this as a career when everyone else loves movies just as much as I do? There's people who love it even more. And I don't really know anything about 3D animation yet. How, what makes me think that I can do this, especially at a low point in my life where I've had these successive failures to a degree, very depends on how you want to frame it. I could call those learning moments. <laughs> I definitely learned a lot from that period of my life, but that was the internal struggle I had. 
who am I to think that I can do this? Now, up to that point in my life, I think my outdoor kind of career helped me push forward and trust myself that I could do this. I had, by that point, summited three of the seven summits in the world. I had climbed at a high level. I had competed in hang gliding at a high level. I'd done some things in my life to a fairly successful extent. And so I trusted my abilities and grit that if I put my mind to this, I knew I could do it. If I just don't quit and just pursue this, like I've pursued these other interests in my life, I think I can make this happen. And so that's when I took on $50,000 of essentially credit card debt, which I do not recommend you doing. <laughs> this is hopefully a story of life lessons as well and mistakes to avoid and hopefully learning from successes as well. But I essentially had to take it on as credit card debt because I wanted to go to Vancouver Film School. And as an American trying to go to an international private school, I cannot get federal loans, school loans to go to some international private school. So I had to figure out a way that I could take on that debt myself. And that's what I did. And I chose that school because I already had a four-year degree and I did not wanna go back to another four-year school like Ringling or SCAD, I hear great things about those places, but that was not where I was at in my life. I was 26 years old at this time. I'm not trying to go to four years and then get out when I'm 30 and then start. I wanted to start making money as soon as I could because I was also broke. And not just that, I'm taking on 50 grand in debt. So I needed to get in and out as quick as I could with the skills I needed to get a job. Now, Looking back, would I do that again? Maybe not. That's also part of the reason why I teach online because I think I can and do provide maybe even more value to a degree, depending on how you're framing it and looking at it, to $50,000. So I know what it's like to be on that cusp of, I need to throw down 50 grand that I don't have and go in debt to pursue this thing and hopefully get the outcome that I want, but not even being sure that's possible. And so that's real motivation of why I teach as well. And I'll get into that, maybe that a bit more later, which has to do with beating cancer. But basically I got to Vancouver Film School and had very intense time in my life where I was basically working my butt off because I saw, I felt that I was behind at 26. Looking back, I realized that's not really the case. I could have taken it a bit easier. At the time I thought I'm, it's all or nothing and I was really gung-ho. So I put in a ton of long hours and I met some great people that I'm very fortunate to have met who are still my good friends today. Actually, one was my best man at my wedding recently that I call a good friend, Abel Vargas, who also teaches lighting online. You should check him out. He's on Instagram as well. Anyway, love that guy. Love you if you're listening. Thanks for listening, Abel. So went to film school, made a short film, and then immediately tried to get a job. And that was incredibly difficult. It was around Christmas time when at that time, not many people were really hiring because it was a slow time for the holidays, but I was going broke or more than broke, but the cash I had to even live on day to day was running out. And my living situation, the, the roof was caving in on this little converted garage I was renting and there was mold in there and they had to send me to another house to live. And there were, rac uh, sorry, not raccoons, there were skunks living under the floor of where the second place that my landlord had to send me to because of the mold in the first place. And then I was having to like sleep under my sleeping bag because of the skunk smell was so bad. And you could hear them like basically under the floorboards. It was rough. It, and I, I was in $50,000 of debt. 
I was not getting any response back from my reels and my applications. I had been throwing out all these types of emails and trying to look and keep my head on a swivel of what opportunities I could find. One was a very random one that I had a close high school friend send me an NPR, a national public radio interview with some guys who do some commercial animation work. And they also did like homesteading kind of stuff. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but they were a very unique group of guys. And I identified with them because I had a forestry background and I did animation. So they had this kind of naturalistic tendency along with commercial work and animation. And so I had reached out to them and over a few months, I finally heard back from them that there was an opportunity to work with them on a project. I ended up taking that job that was in San Francisco. So I had to move from Vancouver to San Francisco. But the great thing about that was I also worked with a CG supervisor of a commercial studio from LA. It was basically me and him on this project. And I knew if I could get in front of this guy and and show him my work ethic and that I can get this stuff done, where I basically animated a two minute short film by myself for these guys, that he would see my potential and hopefully get me hired at the commercial studio in LA. And that paid off. And that was the first part of these strategic career decisions that I made that I think has helped guide somewhat my career to this point. I'm always trying to figure out basically three chess moves of head of how what I'm doing now is going to serve me a year, two years, three years, five years down the road. The first crossroads that I hit was when that commercial studio in LA saw my work, saw my work ethic as well once I started working there and they offered me a staff position. Almost on the same day, I think it was maybe the day after, I got the offer for a staff position in Louisiana at studio that just won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film called Moonbot Studios. In this crossroads, I was basically frustrated, like where were these job opportunities at six months ago? And why am I getting these all at the same time? And that's what I found in my career typically, when it rains, it pours, or it's feast or famine. Like when things aren't hitting, nothing is hitting. And then when you do hit something, then you get a bunch of offers and things at the same time. It's very weird how this happens. I don't know if this happens to other people, but that tends to be how things at least happened when I started out. So I had this decision to make. Was I going to stay in LA, work on these big commercial projects, or was I going to take a chance and go to Louisiana on a fairly new studio, but they had just won an Oscar and I didn't really know what they had going on. I think they were making a video game at the time, which I ended up working on for a year and working on some other commercial projects. While I was there, I ended up being diagnosed with cancer, which I successfully fought off, if you can't tell by the fact I'm still here today, (laughs) about 10 years later. And that was also a very difficult period. So I had just gone through $50,000 of debt, school, barely getting by, getting my first job in the industry, getting my first staff job. Then I'm diagnosed with cancer. So it felt like just one thing after another keeps happening. And it was very difficult to keep getting my feet back up under me from getting knocked down all the time. It felt like I don't mean to sound like a victim here, but at that point when you're confronting your own mortality and your death, it's hard not to have that perspective sometimes. And I would say if anyone's in that, type of kind of vulnerable state, whether you have mental health issues or other health issues or whatever your financial situation is, always seek help. Always try to find help in friends and family or professional help if I can encourage that. That's one thing I would hope to impart. So essentially, I had to get through that period where I had just gotten in the United States, You your health insurance is essentially, usually tied to your employer. And I just barely qualified for that. So I was also on the brink of bankruptcy, having to have <laughs> to go through bankruptcy. But luckily, 
I had been diagnosed just right at the time that my health insurance kicked in. Otherwise, I would have been a very even much worse situation. So there's, it can always be worse is definitely one thing I've learned <laughs> through my time. And I'm very grateful for all the opportunities I've had, despite the challenges and setbacks. I do feel like I go through life with a lot of gratitude for the fact that I am still here. And that's definitely one of the gifts that having cancer gave me was that I know it could always be worse. And so that makes me so grateful for the things I do have. And I have to almost remind myself because it's very easy to get out of that mindset when our day-to-day -day lives bring us to the superficial and the stuff that doesn't matter, like you stepped in dog poo or you were late for the bus or something. And so a lot of these things, when the, those kind of habitual life things happen, it starts to wear you down where you forget the big picture stuff of what really matters and being grateful for what you do have. And so I really appreciate that experience in my life where that was a gift that cancer gave me. It also gave me an urgency for life. This is something hopefully I could impart on as well as there's a difference between anxiety and urgency. And it was something I also had to learn that the urgency doesn't have to come with anxiety. You can be, have an urgency about life without the anxiety. And it takes some practice and a lot of balance and maintaining that. But I really enjoy that aspect as well. And that's, again, part of the reason why I teach is confronting my own mortality in that sense was thinking I'd worked so hard to get to where I was then. I was I felt like I'd finally got my foot in the door and it was about to all be for nothing if it all everything that I had learned up to that point was just going to die with me. And I thought, what was the point of all this if I can't really help anybody? Sorry. Sorry, I don't really... <laughs> tell my story very much. And uh, so I can forget what it was like. T just telling the story kind of brings me back to that time and how raw that, that time period is. Man, that really <laughs> snuck up on me. Okay. Sorry. One sec. That was 10 years ago. You can tell how, um, you know, I'm trying to tell, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to tell this story as articulately as possible and, and, and kind of compartmentalize this a bit just so I can tell the story. But yeah, it, it can kind of, catch up to you a little bit. But that, that was really part of the reason of the impetus to start to think about teaching and thinking about what I could contribute. Because I'd so I've had so many people contribute positively in my life. And I thought if my life's going to get cut short, you know, and I want to be able to have it have a purpose for it. And um and so that's that's kind of what started to help me shift gears on <clears throat> how I could help other people. A couple of like examples for me is when I went to film school, one thing I didn't mention was I was going in to become a compositor. So I wanted to learn how to put two images together or put CG into live action plates because that I, I knew After Effects and that's what I was kind of interested in. And luckily I had some amazing animation teachers, Craig Roberts and Kurt Spurging were two of the animation instructors I had at Vancouver Film School. And they were there temporarily. They don't teach there anymore. Th like the impact that they had on changing the trajectory of my life and showing me that to have that, that mentor relationship and animation was fairly significant to me and special where I felt like I could maybe teach myself these other aspects of a pipeline or animation. But I really felt with the animation itself that I needed a mentor's guide. And so those are just two examples of many of the people who have helped me along the way. And I, there, there's so many examples, pretty much everyone I've ever worked with <laughs> um, has helped me in some way. But I, but so much more, I know being at such a low point in my life from getting trying to pursue this, 
I know how significant that can be to have someone lend you a helping hand and help direct you into a better path. It's really life-changing. And so I thought if I could have that significance for someone else, that would give my life meaning no matter how long or short it is. And that's when I started thinking about teaching. I also thought, you know what, I need to take a break and kind of reevaluate what's going on. So after I recovered from cancer, I actually took a break from working in the industry. I was going to take maybe an indefinite amount of time. I moved back to around where I went to college in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and actually was going to open up a sensory deprivation tank center. If you've never heard of those, they're essentially like about relaxation and getting into your, I've started to forget the, the inside stuff, but your parasympathetic nervous system, essentially it's your fight or flight or your rest or digest and going into a sensory deprivation tank triggers the rest and digest side of your nervous system. So you can recover your capillaries can dilate and your muscles can tension can relax, blood flow increase, all the feel good chemicals can come in and you can get into what's called a theta state, which is a frequency in your brainwave that people who meditate a lot can get into. It's also the brainwaves every child is in until around the age of seven, or like when you're taking a shower and you have all these great ideas, you're essentially around about in theta state. And so getting into a sensory deprivation tank during one of my friend's wedding weekends, I went out and had this experience. I had a great experience in one. And then I started to be very curious about that side of stuff and then wanted to open one myself. It's still a fairly new thing. Probably maybe most of you not haven't heard of it. Sometimes it's on TV shows and they use it as like a hokey sci-fi thing, but it has some significant health benefits and there's research. A lot of it comes out of Sweden because there's a ton of people who do this in Sweden apparently. But so I took a while off of actually this thing that I worked so hard for, I actually stepped away from it. And that was also a very difficult decision. But I thought, you know what? I've gained these skills. These skills aren't something that aren't just going to suddenly disappear. I've made some okay contacts in my short amount of time in the industry. And I think I can come back to it if this doesn't work out. And I should say also have a bit of an entre entrepreneurial spirit in that I like to create things, not just in animation, but for myself. Like I like to cook. I like to make a business. I like to make everything. <laughs> and it's also something I've struggled with is the shiny object syndrome and just always pursuing a bunch of different things. But one thing I do want to say that I've kind of, there's so much, it's hard to talk about myself. I don't know how deep to go down in each individual avenue because it sounds like very self-indulgent. And I don't, that's why I don't like talking about myself. So I, I don't know how, what people would be interested in hearing about, but I would say at the time when I had cancer, I actually made more money than I ever had in my life at that point. And almost even until now, because when I had cancer, I, this entrepreneurial spirit that I'm talking about kicked in where I thought, I don't want to die with 20,000 at that thing. At that time, it was maybe I'd paid off 20 or 30,000. I think I had 20 or $30,000 of debt still. And I wanted to pay that off. If I was going to die, I didn't want to have any debt on my ledger basically and burden like my family with it or whatever was going to happen to it. I wanted to go down kicking <laughs> basically. So I ended up doing also a lot of freelance work at the time when I was going through cancer. And that also gave me a sense of that I, I could do this on my own if I needed to bridge the gap a little bit and maybe not work for a little while and pursue a business on the side that would take a while to get off the ground. And so that's what I did. I did some live action commercials for Braun, Razors. I did maybe one or two for Lego in, in this period where I stopped working for studios while I was trying to get the sensory deprivation tank center off the, which ended up, did not end up working out because of financing. 
And I actually returned to animation thinking, okay, I'll just go back to animation and raise the money myself through saving money. And I've just never gone back to the sensory deprivation tank thing. But part of that story that I want to impart is the fact that I left the industry for like a year and no one cared or noticed. <laughs> like I thought I was going to leave the industry for a year and then I'd start applying for jobs and people would be like, why did you leave the industry? You don't love animation anymore or get very dubious about my intentions working in the in industry. And that didn't happen. <laughs> it was very chill. I talked to the studio, I think that I worked with in LA, the commercial studio, and they're like, yep, come back on we need help. And so I was just right back into working in the animation industry after taking like almost a year off. So yeah, it doesn't have to be like super serious and cutthroat all the time. Like you can come and go. I think if you have built a network of contacts, you've have like somewhat of a decent reel and you stayed sharp up to that point, which I had doing a few freelance projects. It wasn't that difficult to jump back into the industry. You know, things change. Maybe that's different now. I don't know. This, this was almost 10, nine years ago now. So maybe things are different now. Can't always say the same story that I have is true for everybody. This is just my experience and that's all I can really speak to. So I got back into animation and then I bounced around basically for the next nine years is the short version. The long version is I went to Sony in Vancouver. Then I went to ILM in San Francisco, Atomic Fiction, which was then bought by Method. I went back to ILM one or two times. I worked at Naughty Dog. And one of the strategic career decisions that I made was that I knew I wanted to work in Europe. And so I made the switch from visual effects movies to video games very intentionally and deliberately to work in Europe. There, I it tended to seem like there were more jobs in games and there was a bit more money flowing around in games because those studios own, sometimes own the IP of those games. And so they have a bit more cash flow to have bonuses or help with relocation that don't really exist maybe with a tighter budget of a vendor like a visual effects studio. And so that's when I realized maybe I should switch gears slightly, get into games while I'm still in the United States for the best video game company that I can get into, get that experience and then leverage that to get relocated to work and live in Europe. And that's what happened. That actually worked out perfectly. <laughs> I went and worked at Naughty Dog. So as a kind of interactive cinematic animator, I was one of their first contract hires in Santa Monica. And so I did a little bit of everything on that game and got a lot of good experience and enjoyed working on The Last of Us Part Two. And then I used th that experience and leveraged that to apply for game companies in Europe. I got hired at Rocksteady, and then I worked there for two years on, on a video game as well. That was when COVID happened, and that was intense. And I was very fortunate to have been working in games at that time because I know there was a lot of layoffs that occurred in visual effects studios as well when production stalled. And the live action plates that you need filmed to work on the visual effects animation in those movies weren't getting created. So that stalled a lot of production. And I know a lot of people unfortunately got laid off through that process that were working in visual effects as well, among obviously a lot of industries. But I also felt fortunate that I had made that switch and it felt like I was always playing the floor as lava kind of thing, just like barely jumping <laughs> to the next thing before my foot hits the lava. And so I felt very fortunate and grateful to have gotten that game experience 
and also still have that game experience and possibly maybe we'll go back into games as well. Then I worked at Frame Store in London and now I'm working as a lead animator at Jellyfish Pictures on more visual effects type animation. And so I'm really excited to be a part of that team and start to be working as a lead as well. I've had a few other times of working as a lead, one at PSYOP on a Clash of Clans commercial or 360 degree kind of VR project. And then I've also been a visual effects supervisor for a talking dog commercial. So replacing the muzzle on a talking dog. And so through my career, I've done a lot of other kind of freelance things like that as well. So like I mentioned, the Braun commercial or directing short films for Lego and trying to find those things through my career that my career wasn't giving me because I early in my career, one of these other strategy career things that I referred to is that I knew I wanted to bounce around as much as I could before I had maybe a family or a partner that would make it more difficult to bounce around as frequently. So I took that time early in my career to bounce around to as many studios as I could to learn as much as I could about different management styles, different pipelines, and just learn from as many people as I could. And I'm so fortunate to that experience and all those people that I've met and still have yet to meet along the way that have helped me so much and have so much gratitude for that experience. And, and ideally using that now in my lead position and as I continue through my career, my, my journey is still ongoing. And that's why I enjoy teaching because it's an evolution for myself as well. And I'm trying to teach as much as I'm learning as well. And that's why, but one thing that bouncing around didn't give me was the ability to move up the ranks in a single place because I was moving around so much kind of contract to contract this project base that exists a lot in the industry in general. So it's not like I had to invent that for that to happen. That's that's kind of the neutral and baseline kind of way of going in this industry is a lot of contracts being project-based. But what that didn't allow me is to move up the ranks in a single studio to get to more leadership roles. And so I would go off and try to find that type of experience myself by doing freelance projects on the side and that's why I've gotten into directing those Lego short films or other things, what have you. So that's how my career has gone. Again, part of the motivation for teaching was to begin to impart that whatever thing I can help people with, I want to be able to help it. Because I've watched so many very well-meaning tutorials, but that are maybe not well executed. And I thought I've at least watched so many of these and been helped by so many of these that I felt like I could condense down the best parts of all of these in my own teaching style. And so, and I'm being a beginner and knowing that was such a significant period of my life of switching gears and getting into this industry and switching careers, basically feeling like I was throwing away four years of college. And at the time, I also didn't mention I was working towards a master's degree in environmental science at the university I was also working at. And then to put that all aside, put aside four years and degree in university, put aside a master's program that was getting paid for and to go pursue this other thing that I couldn't even teach myself how to do. And that being such a significant moment in my life uh, is why I value teaching so much as well, because that was so significant to me to find people who could teach me that anyways, that's what I'm hoping to do with others and why I've started to teach. And I've also had great encouragement from teaching mentors like Daniel Walter Scott is someone I'd love to give a shout out to who teaches at bringyourownlaptop.com. We connected through some of the courses I have on Skillshare. He has courses on Skillshare as well. 
and his encouragement to teach. He's an Adobe certified guy. So if you want to learn about Adobe products, I would definitely go recommend checking his stuff out. And he's helped me so much. I gifted one of my courses to him on his website. Gosh, yeah. But so I started teaching and that's slowly progressed over the years. The last five years or so, I've created about a hundred hours of edited course material. And yeah, I, it's been a great learning process to, for my own animation. Like I can't BS stuff. Basically, if I'm going to teach it, I have to really figure out the stuff that I've shied away from not understanding in my own animation. And I have to really nail it down because I'm going to be asked from every angle about this thing when I have students. So you have to really learn a thing to teach it. And so I really appreciate teaching, not because I get to tell other people some wisdom that I think I have. It's because I get to learn. It's selfish in that way because I, it's an excuse for me to have, to spend time learning as well and always keep that growth and learning mindset and that I'm always a student and there's always something I can learn from people. And hopefully that's part of what I can also teach fostering that mindset as well, because that's part of being in a technology-based industry where you have to stay on board with. Every time I moved studios, I was having to learn a new pipeline. There's never a moment where you can just sit back in this career and just coast to a degree. Maybe there are people who <laughs> have found that. Let me know how that's going and how you found that. But you know, things are moving so quickly in any technology sector like ours that you really have to stay on top of your game. And that's what I wanted in a career. I didn't want to find a career that I could maybe in forestry, a cliche stereotype is like being a forest stranger. You, I don't know, give the same tour in the same national park or manage private forest land through different timber cycles or what have you. I knew I could probably do that and be happy as well. But for me, I wanted to have something that would constantly be changing and pushing. And maybe I'm sure there's aspects to those other careers that have that as well. But to my mind at the time, that's where my mindset was, is I wanted to pursue something that was maybe faster changing than those other careers I was near to at the time. So teaching has helped me stay close to that mindset and I think be successful to some degree. There's people who are doing this better than I am. There's people who are doing worse at it than I am. So not to say that my story or my experience is the best thing to take advice from. I just want to share what my experience is to help give you another data point to ideally learn from and get your own perspective on maybe pursuing this as a career or, you know, learning from me in some of my courses. So if you are interested in learning from me, I have animatorsjourney.com is where I'm doing my kind of flagship mentorship classes now after years of putting together these kinds of dabbling courses where, hey, make this fun little thing. Hey, make this other fun little thing where now I'm, I really want to pursue teaching career changing kind of mentorship courses. And so that's what I've been developing at animatorsjourney.com with the help of a few other people, especially for the intermediate course, which I'm currently at the time of recording this now working on almost opening enrollment for. And that one is going to be only by application. If you're just starting out and you, you want to test the waters, then beginner is open up to anyone. No experience is needed. It gives you everything you need from the course material to a student license of Maya to access to me in the private community to get feedback on your work, which is what is so important, I think, with animation in particular, to a more rapid progression through your learning on your own work. When you work in a vacuum and you're trying to self-teach, you don't know what you don't know, and you can be in this endless feedback loop of not making progress. And so that's where having feedback from any professional is very uh, valuable. And so there's many places where you can do that, but this is the one I'm making 
that I think having tried other online schools and going to a brick and mortar school and trying to teach myself through tutorials and having an experience of all of those education types, again, trying to take the best pieces of all of those that I can give to give the most focused, accelerated approach to learning animation in a mentorship environment online that also has lifetime access. I, anyway, I don't want to get into the salesy thing, but it just kind of goes into my philosophy of what I'm trying to develop there on what I think would help people the most. And yeah, that's what makes it. I'm not a great salesperson, obviously. I'm doing this because I'm an animator and I want to teach that. And then I have to also like, to, for me to be able to do that, then I have to convince people to like trust me to help them. So then I have to learn all this other stuff about marketing and sales and building a business, which is fun in and of itself, but it's not really why I got into animation. So that's something I struggle with as well. And I enjoy learning about it because it's something I like pursuing things that I don't think I'm great at, <laughs> which is part of animation because you can always get rusty with different parts of animation. So it's always fun. I'll never feel like I can master this craft. And that's is what's going to always keep me pursuing it and trying to learn from other people. It's like an excuse of why I have this podcast because I can reach out to these amazing animators and get their ear and have these one-on-one -on -one conversations with them and learn from them. And hopefully you can as well. And I'm doing it under the guise that I'm sharing it with you that I get to interview these amazing animators. And also if you have people that you'd like me to reach out to for interviews, please suggest people's names that you follow on social media or other people you have in mind. I feel like I'm starting to run out of things to say, so I'm going to wrap up this episode. Hopefully this provided some insight into making maybe some strategic career decisions and also just showing you that it's possible to switch careers in your mid to late 20s. I've interviewed, uh, go listen to Tom Englehart's interview. He was 39, between 39 and 41 when he switched careers. So there's a ton of different data points that you can go collect. And that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast as well is go collect those data points for you to show all these different kind of this rainbow variety of journeys that people take because everyone's journey is going to be different. And hopefully that's one thing you can glean from these episodes is that yours too is also going to be different, but you can take the advice from everyone's own journey and apply it to your current individual situation as best you can and how you approach, how you think about pursuing these things and making it work for you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Sorry if it felt self-indulgent just talking about myself. It's one of those kind of vulnerable things that I wasn't super excited to do this episode, but I felt like it's unfair for me to ask this of other people if I don't even do it myself. Wanted to share that. And if there's questions about what I've described or things you want me to go into more detail, I'll be happy to do that. If you're listening on Spotify, there's also a kind of new Q&A thing or it's not really in a Q&A thing. You can respond on Spotify. I can't, I don't think I can reply, but I can see your comments or whatever. Also, if you just want to message me, you can do that at lucas at digitalcreatorschool.com. If you want to listen to a whole presentation I have about a career in the industry in general, you can go do that at animatorsjourney.com animatorsjourney.com. Sorry, my mouth is getting dry talking for so long now. And you can listen to an entire webinar of me giving a presentation about more specifics about a career in animation. So hopefully you can go enjoy that if you haven't already listened to it. If not, thanks for listening to the podcast. Definitely subscribe so you can be notified of when new episodes roll out now that we're starting back in 2023. And if you're waiting around for the next ones to roll out, then you have last year's episodes to go through as well, which I think people have been enjoying. So again, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.